Good morning and welcome to uh, journey with us through uh, the Gospel of John. If you would uh, turn with me in your Bibles to uh, chapter 17. Uh, this morning we're going to consider uh, the first of three parts to what is known as the um, high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ. And as we consider uh, the text over the next three weeks, as we consider this prayer of Jesus, it's divided uh, into three parts. Uh, week one, uh, which is this morning, we will consider verses one through five as Jesus prays for himself. Next week, we'll consider Jesus' prayer for the disciples, uh, chapters, uh, verses six through 19. And then the following week, we'll unfold Jesus' prayer for those who would come to faith through the faithful witness of his people, uh, verses 20 through 26. Uh, as you might can tell or might can see from this introduction, our normative practice here at Spring Hill is to systematically go through a book of the Bible in its context, aiming uh, to allow the Bible itself to bring up the and dictate the topics that we uh, consider. So this morning, uh, we're going to begin our study of God's Word with prayer. We will then read the passage uh, for our consideration, and then we will look closely at each verse, making observations and applications as we go. So if you would, uh, bow your hearts in prayer with me. Oh, Father in heaven, uh, we come this morning in Jesus' name, a people redeemed by the shed blood of your Son. We come to exalt and extol the excellencies of him who brought us out of darkness and bringing us into your glorious light. We seek you, God, the Holy Spirit, and ask for you to illuminate the passage to our minds for understanding. We ask for your spirit to inflame our hearts to praise. We ask for you, God, the Holy Spirit, to move our will to obedient faith. We pray for healing for those who are hindered this morning from fellowship. We ask, Lord, that you would grant repentance and faith to those who have neglected to gather out of habit. Father, we pray for our friends that are gathered this morning at Baker Creek. We ask, Lord, that you would embolden Pastor Dax to unashamedly proclaim the gospel of grace this morning. And in Jesus' name, we come this morning with expectation that you are working through your word and that you will conform us into the likeness of your son. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Uh, as you are able, would you stand for the reading of God's word. Chapter 17, uh, verses 1 through 5. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. This is God's word. You can be seated. You might think of this, or you might think when somebody says, 
the Lord's Prayer, you might automatically go to Matthew, right? And think about the Lord's Prayer. Well, really, Matthew is the disciples' prayer. It's, it's, it's the Lord teaching the disciples how they ought to pray. This is the Lord's Prayer. This is the Lord Jesus praying, right? Uh, the other is instruction. This is when you pray, pray like this. So when you think about that, and they call it the Lord's Prayer, but this really is the Lord Jesus' prayer. And he is praying. And we are thinking about the hour that we are in. Let's think about the hour that we are in this morning. And the truth of the matter is that in every hour, wherever we are, whatever has come our way, whatever life has brought us, we were brought here for such a time as this. This is the hour that we are brought to this morning. It's the hour of, of our life. Well, the hour of your life, brothers and sisters, has come to you by no accident. It's not by happenstance this morning that you might be struggling with tension, maybe in your marriage. It is not accidental that in this hour, your efforts uh, at work come with opposition from your co-workers. It is not coincidental that in this hour, uh, you're in a battle uh, in your health. See, it is not without purpose or it's not without intention that you are experiencing loneliness and isolation maybe in this hour. The hour that has come upon each of you, each of us in this room, is an hour that is intended upon you by the sovereign will of God. For such a time as this, we have come to this hour. And what you know of the Father in heaven will determine how you respond in this troubling hour. Will the circumstances of this hour lead you to despair and a fatalistic outlook on life? Or will you know that the circumstances of, of this hour, of this life, have readied you for this hour? For those who know the Father and who know His Christ, the trouble of this hour reminds us of the promises of God and should move us naturally closer to Him in prayer. Further, our hour of trouble will reveal what sort we are. It will reveal what is the overriding principle in your life. We see in today's passage that the hour of trial further reveals the overriding principle of Jesus' life. And the overriding principle of Jesus' life is, and we've said this for several weeks in the past, the overriding principle of Jesus' life is the glory of the Father. When this hour has come, the overriding principle in Jesus' life is the glory of the Father. For us, the man or woman, the boy or girl who knows God and his Christ recognizes that the tribulations and the trials and the hours that we are facing have readied us for this hour. We are here for such a time as this. We are ready for this hour. Jesus is ready for this hour hour that is to come. An English definition of the word ready means this, made suitable and available for immediate use. When the hour of trouble comes, to be ready means that you are made suitable and available to be immediately used by God. 
As I studied this passage, that was the first word that struck me. The first word that struck me from this passage, when Jesus had said these things and he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. First thing I thought was, ready. I'm ready for the hour. The hour has come. I have been made suitable and I am available for use by you, Father, in this hour, no matter what it comes. Jesus' prayer for himself demonstrates that the troubles and the trials of this hour come from the sovereign will of God, and he has been made suitable, and he is available for use in this hour, and his use in this hour, he knows, is to fulfill the overriding principle of his life, which is to glorify the Father. Raymond Edmund writes this, First he brought me here, it is by his will that I am in this troubled place. In that fact, I will rest. Next, he will keep me here in his love and give me grace to behave as his child. Then he will make the trial a blessing, teaching me lessons he intends for me to learn and working in me the grace he intends to bestow. Last, in his good time, he can bring me out again. How and when he knows. Let me say that I am here in this hour by God's appointment, in his keeping, <coughs> under his training, for his time and for his glory, which is for my good. The hour has come. The appointed hour has come for Jesus. The appointed hour that has come for Jesus is his humiliation and his death. His obedience in the hour will bring his exaltation and his glorification. And rather than fall to despair and fatalism, Jesus prays that in this hour, in the Father's will, that it will accomplish glory for him and glory for the Father. When Jesus had spoken these words, so the occasion for Jesus' prayer follows a lengthy discourse with his disciples. And I want to highlight two verses that will bring this into mind for us. Jesus has just spoken to his disciples in chapter 16, verse 20. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. And in verse 33, he says, in the world you will have tribula tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. In this passage for our consideration this morning, having said these things to his disciples, facing his own hour of sorrow, humiliation, and death, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. When Jesus lifts his eyes up to heaven, he's lifted his eyes up to heaven and away from the trial that is about to come the hardness of this earthly hour. He lifts his eyes away from the humiliation and he goes to the one in whom he trusts and he says, Father, the hour has come. Jesus has previously taught the disciples that when your hearts are troubled, when the sorrow and grief of this life are overwhelming, he taught them to pray, didn't he? He said, trust in the deposit made in heaven for you that on that basis, seek God. Pray in my name and the God who loves you because 
you love me, he will be your help. And with these words, Jesus exemplifies this teaching immediately, doesn't he? The hour has come. And he turns his eyes to heaven. He turns his eyes to heaven and to the Father. His direction turns to the Father, turns to heaven in this hour that is to come, that has come. So in every hour, we as Christians, we can trust that the Lord of heaven and the Lord of earth has brought us to it. The hour that you're in, the Lord has brought you to this hour. I don't know where you're at, and I'm sure that, that many of you have troubles, have had trials, are battling with illnesses. But God is not impotent in this hour. By his sovereign will, he has brought you to it. Since you can trust that God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in heaven with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, we, like Jesus, can confidently direct our gaze away from the temporary trial and hour and fix our eyes upon heaven and our eyes upon the Father. Notice that the hour reveals the overriding principle in Jesus' life. He lifted his eyes up to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Again, the overriding principle in Jesus' life is his desire for the glory of God. And he says, Father, I pray that in this hour of trial, in this hour of sorrow, humiliation, and pain, use it. Use this hour. I've been made ready and available for this hour. Use it to glorify me because my prayer is that in you glorifying me, that your glory would be magnificently displayed. In our prayers to God sometimes, in our times of trouble, doesn't it seem like our desire is to get relief? Like we pray to get relief from our oppressors in the workplace because the overriding principle in our life is not really the glory of God, but it's this, I have rights. So I pray to God that my rights would be restored to me. Do you pray for relief in hard times because really the overriding principle in your life is comfort? God, I am uncomfortable in this hour of trouble. But I most desire comfort. God, would you give me a comfortable life? Do we pray for God's provision for us? Because really the overriding principle is a life of ease. Or maybe it is a life of affluence. Maybe it is a life of keeping up with the neighbors. Maybe that's the reason why we pray for God's provision. But to the, to the Christian... The greatest treasure in your life is the forgiveness and love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. You see, there's no greater gem in the world, is there, than the gospel of Jesus Christ, especially when you, you, you take the gospel of Jesus Christ and its goodness and this gem and this gift that has come from the Father and you put it against the black backdrop of your own sin. Then you see that this is such a great gem. The gospel is a gem. It is that which is 
to be cherished, right? And then, and then the glory of God then becomes the overriding principle in our lives. And so when we pray in times of trouble, when we pray when, when uh, things are just closing in on us, we say, God, I don't like this pain or this trial or this hour, but you have brought me to this hour. Would you use it to glorify yourself? And we might pray selfishly for this. Lord, would you use it to sanctify me? Would you use it to cause me to grow in holiness? But as I grow in holiness, would you use that, Lord, to glorify yourself? Because my great treasure is the gospel of Jesus Christ. My great treasure is this gem that you loved me. You loved me to the uttermost when I was in the gutter the most. You took me when I was at the bottom and you raised me up. And no trial in this life can dampen the joy of that great gift. What if we prayed like that? And see, that's what Jesus does here. The hour has come and he says, God, use this hour. I know that in your sovereign will that it is good and it is intended to glorify you. Would you use this hour of trial, God the Father, to glorify your Son, that in it I might glorify you? When we pray, as Jesus prays, it looks like this. Father in heaven, I ask that you be glorified in my workplace, that you would relieve the tension, that I might be uh, filled with joy and with praise and with uh, uh, a message of your goodness. Lord, would you in this uh, difficult hour, God of heaven, would you show your loving kindness into me that I might have praise on my lips, even in this trial of trouble, that you might be glorified through this mess that is that I'm in. You see, you get the picture of the God, the glory of God is the overriding principle for those who are in Christ Jesus. John Piper writes it like this, and I love this. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Think about that. Are you satisfied in what God has wrought for you in the person of Christ Jesus? Is that most satisfying? The hour has come. You've come to this hour, this hour of trial, and we go to prayer and we say, God, would you use this hour to glorify you because I am so satisfied. I am so satisfied with all that you are for me in Christ Jesus. Verse 2. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to whom you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Well, when Jesus prays here that God would glorify him as a son, 
that he would glorify him as a son to the praise and glory of the Father. Jesus asks after reflection upon the Father's promises and on an examination of his own faithful stewardship of those promises. He says, Father, your son asks for you to glorify me since you have given me authority over all flesh. You have promised me kingship over all creation. You have given your son dominion and lordship over all of mankind. You, Father, have, a, have chosen a people to receive eternal life. And I have given that life to all who by your sovereign will you have chosen. And I exercised that freedom you gave me faithfully. I have steward your, stewarded your promises perfectly. This is what he says. Since I am the king of all creation, you have made me king over all flesh. See, some people might push up against this, that God's sovereign choice, right? Some people might push up against the fact that there are those whom God has given Christ Jesus in eternity past. Those are those to whom Jesus has given eternal life as a king. See, Jesus is the king. Jesus is the king whether you receive him or not. Jesus is the king. If you acknowledge him as king, he's king. If you do not acknowledge him as king, guess what? Jesus is king. Jesus is king. And it is only through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ's atoning death that, and, and through his resurrection that sinners are included in that kingdom. God has chosen a people and he has drawn them to the kingdom of his son according to his own free will. And no one enters the kingdom unless the Father draws them. But see, this morning, the hour has come. The hour's come and is coming when you will be called to repent and believe. Jesus declares in his hour of prayer to the Father that he has been made suitable to be called king over all humanity. To not acknowledge Jesus as king this morning means that you will not enter the kingdom of God. But you will enter something. If you do not acknowledge Jesus as king this morning, you will not enter the kingdom of God, but you will enter into his wrath and his judgment because Jesus is the king. Whether you receive him or not, Jesus is king. Some years ago, when I was uh, doing uh, ministry in juvenile detention in Yamhill County, I'm there with some young people and I'm reading to them from the scriptures and this one young man says, you know, Jeff, I, I, I believe that you believe what you're saying. I said, yes, I do. But what, what I believe has really nothing to do with what we're talking about here because what I'm telling you is the truth. That this is the whole truth and the Bible is true. And whether you believe it or not doesn't make it any less true. He said, well, no, that's a truth for you. I said, well, I'll tell you what we're going to do. I said, you and I should go up on the top of the roof of this jail. And we should stand side by side. Now, here's the thing. I, on the left, believe, I believe fully in the law of gravity. You, standing here, do not believe in gravity at all. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to link hands. I'm going to take you and we are going to jump. And guess what? 
Gravity is going to happen to both of us. Because it doesn't matter whether you believe it, it's true. And the same thing I would admonish you this morning, that Jesus is king, and whether you reject him or not, he is still the king. And if Jesus is king, and you reject him, then guess what? You get what you deserve. All of us who recognize Jesus as king, and we repent and believe and put our faith and trust in him, guess what? We, don't, we get what we don't deserve. We get mercy, we get grace, we get the kindness of God, we get the love of God. And it means then that the Father has chosen us, that He chose us in eternity past. See, the Father's gift in eternity past to the Son is this, authority over all flesh. And He's given them the authority to give eternal life to all that God has chosen. Everyone and everything in the universe are subject to the kingdom of Christ, whether you acknowledge it or not. So, I would ask us this, if Jesus is the undisputed authority over all creation, where then comes the Christian's alliances, the Christian's allegiances, the Christian's allegiances to any political or any ideology is subservient to King Jesus. Any earthly alliance then is to a far inferior leader. Any earthly alliance we have is to a far inferior leader and far inferior ruler. Because are there any earthly rulers who have been given authority over all flesh? Anyone who has authority over all of creation? Is there anyone who has been given the authority to grant to you eternal life? No. All of our allegiances in the worldly sense are inferior to King Jesus. Servants of King Jesus have been set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to all flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. The people are, are a gift. The people of God are a gift to King Jesus that was secured in eternity past. Jesus was gifted in eternity past with authority over all human flesh that he might gift eternal life to those God has chosen on the basis of Jesus' future, obedient, humiliation, death, resurrection, and exaltation. And this is the hour to which Jesus has come and he says, glory to God. In this hour of trial and trouble, I am ready I have been made suitable for this hour. God, would you use this horrific hour that I am, that is upon me to, to glorify me and in so doing to glorify you. I come to this hour of trial asking for you to glorify me through it to the praise and glory of you that I having accomplished, accomplished the mission that you entrusted to me from the foundation of the, earth, uh, the world, I have done it. I've been made ready for this hour. And then in expectant hope, Jesus closes the words of prayer for himself. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed.
See, Jesus being fully God, He had a glory. He already had glory. He had a glory while He was here on earth in His human form. He had a glory that was internal to Him. He had a glory that is, uh, in the Greek, the word doxa, which is He possessed that which merits a good and right opinion. He exemplified honor. His reputation was worthy of praise. He possessed glory. So what does it mean when Jesus asks that the result of this hour of trial, I want the ultimate result of this hour of trial that I would once again be in your presence and that I would regain glory that I had before the world existed. Well, Philippians 2, 6-7 gives us an idea. It says that though he was in, in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. So Jesus still had this glory, worthiness in him, in his person. But Jesus laid aside the outward expression of glory that he had in in heaven with the Father in eternity past when he took on human form. Jesus, in eternity past, he, he possessed a radiance before the world began that was a, a brilliant light that made it humanly impossible to approach him. Before his incarnation, Jesus possessed the glory of God in two full senses. He possessed the, the fullness of God's glory, uh, of God's attributes and character in the inward sense. And he possessed what is known as the Shekinah glory, the full, outward, visible, majestic splendor of the glory of God. In his incarnation, he laid down this outward expression, this outward majesty. He laid it aside. The hour of humiliation is here, says King Jesus. I look to my Father in heaven and I pray in this great hour. I pray that what you do in this hour, Lord, according to your sovereign will, accomplishes my glorification through this hour of trouble to the praise and glory that you so worthy, worthily deserve, Father. I have finished my race. What you sent me to do, I have completed. I stewarded all that you have given me. I have made you known. They who believe can be confident that they have eternal life because eternal life is knowing the one true God and I have made you known, he says. I have laid aside the glory that I had at the first. The hour has come and what he's asking for ultimately is this. Clothe the king in majesty that he had at the first. I've come and I clothed myself in humility. I clothed myself in humility for the sake of those that you've given me. I clothed myself in humility and now, Father, I ask in this hour that you would clothe me with the majesty and the splendor that I had at the first. In our hour of trouble for us, I wonder if we get, as, as we get older, and I, I've, I've circled this globe 55 years, almost 56, pretty soon. And I, I think about that more and more with each year that I get older. And you know what I think about most? 
is that if my days came to an end tomorrow, could I, like Jesus, go before my father and say, you gave me this ministry to do on earth, and I completed it. I finished the race well. All that you gave me to do, I did. All that you called me to, I faithfully stewarded that. So Lord, would you glorify me with your presence in heaven? Would you bring me to the fullness of my joy? I hope that that becomes our prayer and our aim and our motivation in life, is that as we get to the end, we say, God, I did my work. I did what you called me to. Not in my own strength, not in my own power, not in my own righteousness. I did it in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I did it with him working through me. Lord, I was faithful to him and he was faithful to bring me through every trial and trouble. And I was faithful to the Lord Jesus all the way to the end. Lord, bring me home and give me the joy of your presence. See, in our hour of trouble, we need not despair or be resigned to futility. We respond in this hour, lifting our eyes off of our temporary nature, off of the temporary nature of our troubles, and we look to the eternal God of heaven. We can entrust ourselves to the sovereign will of God to use this hour. Use this hour to conform us into the likeness of his son, to the praise of his glorious grace. We can ask of him to bring us to our ultimate end, the presence of his glory and the glorification of our earthly selves, having been made ready for the hour of glory through the hour of trial. See, the road to glory is paved with trouble, isn't it? I mean, when you think about Jesus' life, right? And Jesus, remember the time when Jesus is in the temple, right? And he's just about to, 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 to leave the temple and he's saying, he's telling them, my hour is coming. The hour of trial is coming, but glory is coming. And he knows that the road to glory is paved with trial and trouble. Our road to glory in the presence of the Lord Jesus is paved with the same way. Do you not think that we would not suffer the same as Jesus, right, in this life? But we can rejoice in this hour, trusting in the promises of God. Trusting that that which God has brought to us in this hour is for our good, for our sanctification, and ultimately will bring us to our glorification. If you don't know Jesus this morning... You don't know God. If you don't know Jesus this morning, you don't know God, you don't know the Father. If this is you, I want to say this to you this morning. If you don't know the Lord Jesus this morning, you don't know the Father in heaven, your hour of crisis has arrived. Seriously. Take that seriously. If you don't know the Lord Jesus in this hour, this is your hour of crisis. This is an hour of crisis for you. The hour of crisis has arrived. Jesus Christ is the king over all humanity. Jesus lived faithfully as one of us, but he lived a sinless life like none of us. He died a horrific death for the sins of all whom God is calling to himself. 
Death could not hold him, though, and after three days in a grave, God raised him from the dead. See, today, that truth, if you reject him as king, this is your moment of crisis. But today, if you will turn from letting your sinful self rule your own life, if you will believe in your heart that Christ died for you, if you will confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, then Christ has made him known to you. You have been given eternal life. But today, if, having heard all of this, and you reject King Jesus, he is still the king. That is a moment of crisis. He is still the king. And that means that the wrath and the judgment of God is on you in this great hour of trouble. You see, the moment of crisis has arrived. Jesus is saying that his hour has fully come here. But I would say to you that if you live tomorrow, so don't die. If you don't know Jesus, don't die today. Seriously, don't die today. Because the hour has come upon you, and it is coming upon you. The moment of crisis has arrived. Don't die today. Repent and put your faith and trust in the King, in King Jesus.